Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, I'm back and in the studio for the first time in four weeks. We'll announce the winners of the Foodies Restaurant Awards, have a couple of fun food stories and a food trend. And then we'll share some cooking tips from Samin Nosrat of Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. We We have have a a great great show, show, so stick stick around. I'm so hungry right now, I'm getting takeout from Noble Crust. What? You've never been? No way. Check this out. They do both food from the South and Italian, and they do an amazing job at both. They have some of the best fried chicken, and the eggplant parmesan is out of this world. The fried green tomatoes are not like anyone else's. They call it the FGBLT, but I think they should call it the OMG, because it has Tabasco honey pork belly and pimento cheese, and it's the first item on the menu, so you can't miss it. Noble Crust also made six of St. Pete Foodie's best of list, best Italian, casual dining, best pizza, Bloody Marys, meatballs, and best salads. If Noble Crust is already one of your favorites, then I have good news. They're expanding their service hours. Starting on February 7th, they'll be open for lunch on Fridays. And they'll start opening on Mondays for dinner starting February 10th. As always, on Saturday and Sunday, there's an awesome brunch starting at 10.30. And the deviled eggs are one of my favorites. The St. Pete location is on 4th Street North and 83rd. And they also have locations in Carrollwood and Wesley Chapel. You can check hours and menus at noble-crust.com. Noble Crust is a must for your next lunch, brunch, or dinner. This is where we would usually have a segment for a recipe. That's where Abby creates a new recipe special for foodies and comes over, makes the food, and we eat it, and then we talk about it on the podcast. But because of social distancing, we're not going that far. But we do have a new recipe, which you can find on our website, which I will mention the address in a moment in case you don't know. But what we have is called the Savory Dutch Baby. And it's a breakfast or brunch item, which we thought would be a great idea since a lot more people are home for breakfast or brunch these days. And Abby describes it as a little clean out the fridge. BLT, A&E, Savory Dutch Baby. So BLT, I think everyone knows that. A&E is avocado and egg. So bacon, lettuce, tomato, avocado and egg. And she said it's basically like a fluffy, savory pancake. 
check it out on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Look in the navigation for local food recipes. And this recipe, as well as all of our others, are sponsored by Rollin' Oats. Thank you, Rollin' Oats. And thank you, listeners. St. Pete is all about local, and this year we celebrate a local legend's 25th anniversary. Roland Oats Market and Cafe was founded in July of 94 by Bert Swain and Larry Schwartz. From the beginning, Roland Oats has made a commitment to provide St. Pete customers with the finest quality organic whole foods, nutritional supplements, and body care products at the most reasonable price as possible. And now they have a South Tampa location too. We go there for many items, but they are the only place that we go to buy our raw probiotics and other supplements. They have the best organic whole food selection in town, and on the flip side of that, they also offer a fantastic selection of wines and an unparalleled selection of local craft beer. Rollin' Oats has a cafe, Open Daily, which offers delicious sandwiches, burgers, soups, salads, bowls, wraps, entrees, and fresh-made smoothies along with a variety of prepared and packaged take-home meals located in the market itself. Do you pride yourself with supporting local businesses? Well, put your money where your mouth is and get on into Rollin' Oats today. Rollin' Oats St. Pete is located at 2842 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Street North, and in South Tampa, you'll find them at 1021 North McDill Avenue. Check them out on the web at rollinoats.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-N oats.com. So if you haven't heard by now, we did make an announcement on Facebook that unfortunately we had to cancel the St. Petersburg Foodies Restaurant Awards show. We had a wonderful red carpet live event planned, but because of the current things going on with COVID-19, we decided to just cancel it flat out. There were some other events that happened in April and May that got rescheduled for August, September. And unfortunately, as much as it pains us to say this, if we did that, we don't know who's going to be in business and who's not going to be in business then, and it might be some of the winners. So we also want to try to boost some morale yeah. and give some shouts out to, to our winners that deserve it. And these are all the People's Choice Awards. We were going to have a critics section, and um, we decided to scratch that. Right. So let's get right to it. Best Downtown St. Pete Restaurant, Brick and Mortar Kitchen and Wine Bar. Congratulations, Jason Ruha and Hope. Yes. The next one is Best Golf Port, Pia's Trattoria. Congratulations on that. Yes. Best North St. Pete Restaurant, Noble Crust. Well deserved. Yes. Best St. Pete Beach, Sola Bistro and Wine Bar. Go Tig and Artem. Best Italian Restaurant, Grazi Italian Grill. Congratulations, Chef Tony and Dominic. Yes. Best Mexican, VIP Mexican Restaurant and Lounge. Best Seafood, Altomari Fish Bar. Congratulations, Chef Joshua. And best steakhouse, Bo and Mo's Italian Steakhouse. Go Bo and Mo! Best sushi, the lure. Best pizza, Pizza Box. Congratulations to Kelly and Adam. Best new restaurant, Sofia's Cucina and Inoteca. Yay for Kelly and Alex. Best fast casual restaurant, Bodega on Central. And no surprise there. No, nope. congratulations. congratulations, George. Best casual restaurant, second time winner. Noble Crust. Congratulations. Best upscale restaurant, Il Ritorno. Congratulations, Chef David and Erica. Well-deserved. And best, best overall restaurant, 
Bowen Moe's Italian Steakhouse. Congratulations to all the winners. Yes. We will be right back. Keep on moving. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number no. 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years, and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete Foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. And they also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number no. 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. Check out Engine Number no. 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. Their burgers can't be beat. Engine number nine is doing takeout and delivery. The hours are 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily, and packaged beer and wine is also available until 9 p.m. Last week, Lori and I talked about different food trends, and we have one leftover from last week because we were going kind of long, and I'm going to start with that, and then we have a couple of fun stories. Well, One might be a food trend too, but some funny stories. So the headline on this one is spicy pucker is a real flavor and it's everywhere. Makers of snacks and drinks are increasingly combining hot pepper flavors with sour ones to throw a new kind of punch at consumers eager palates. And I'm all for it. And it's, it's not really new because there's Mexican food. Thai food, just about any Asian food, you can find some dishes that are spicy and sour at the same time. Oh, of course, yeah. But I guess it's, it's new to snack foods. Right. So they're saying spicy snacks, popular for years, are lately getting a new flavor twist, the spicy pucker. So it's makers of chips, candy, sauces, and drinks are increasingly combining hot pepper flavors with sour ones to throw a new kind of punch at consumers' eager palates. And guess what? What? the new chips were inspired by more restaurants pairing peppers with sour flavors. Hmm. So they followed followed trends. Yeah. Some examples were PepsiCo introduced spicy sour chip flavors, including Doritos Flamin' Hot Limon, Ruffles Lime and Jalapeno, and that follows last year's launch of Lay's Flamin' Hot Dill Pickle. (laughs) That's a, yeah. Not sure about that one, but I guess... Many of them don't really appeal to me. I'm not like, I usually like my chips, either salt and vinegar or plain. Right. And salt and vinegar, that's kind of a, well, they're not spicy. Spicy, no. It's it's salty and sour. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like me. (laughs) So here's, here's what I thought was interesting, though, in this story. They say, part of that complexity involves choreographing the order in which consumers feel a pepper's heat versus the tangy hit of the sour note. So, for example... Beginning with a spicy sour food that the chip flavor is trying to imitate, like a chili and lime salsa or a spicy kombucha, chip developers try to recreate the precise sequence that the mouth experiences the burn of the seasonings and the pucker of a sour taste and how long the flavors last. The lingering of heat is a polarizing subject. Some people don't like when heat builds up and stays with you for a long time, and other people love it. 
That's true. I'm not a big fan of that. I and I am. I know. Yeah. And they say, and I'm I'm a big Doritos fan. They say Doritos loyalists typically want a lasting burn. There you go. While fans of Lay's only in recent years have fully embraced spicy version. Hmm. Spicy ver yeah, spicy versions. Right. Not virgins. Oh jeez. <laughs> I don't think they're spicy. Yeah. So <laughs> now you have something that we actually, before this article came out uh, just last week, also in the Wall Street Journal, when we saw, I saw it, we're like, yeah, we've been seeing this on our Facebook yeah, feed over and over. crazy. When we have a Facebook group, Foodies Home Creations, and all of a sudden people are just baking bread left and right. I'm like, what are all these people baking bread for? Yeah. And what did you say earlier? Oh, yeah, I have no desire to bake any bread. I know. I said I have no desire to bake any bread either, but I want to eat it. Yeah. Well, I know where I can get good bread and eat it and not yeah. have to bake it. Yeah. <laughs> First Watch has some of the best bread, and so does Lonnie's. Right. And also the, what's the bread at El Retorno? Oh, yeah, David's Spicaccia. Yes. That's awesome. It's fantastic. And I got to say, public subs, the bread they use is awesome. Yes, it is. So. Um, yes, yeah, so I have this interesting article from the Wall Street Journal that Kevin gave me, and it's something I had no idea about, but I'm going to read this quote from a woman who was stuck at home and had some flour in her pantry and just decided she was going to bake some bread. She said, I looked into the window throughout the process and figured, hmm, this is not looking quite right. But hey, we followed the recipe, so it should be fine. Three hours later, when she took it out, it was not fine. It was ugly. She said, it turns out my flour was past due by almost three years. I didn't realize flour could expire. Neither did I. I never realized flour expired. I didn't either. And I have to admit, I have a bag of flour in the pantry that's probably five years old. But I mean, is it just the self-rising flour that expires or does it all purpose? This article doesn't say anything about that. Aha. Uh -huh. All right. Because I would imagine that she had the self-rising is what she was using. Right. Because it didn't rise. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to have the yeast in there. So, Ms. Kessler, she's among the many amateur bread bakers who have emerged amid the, amid the coronavirus lockdown, only to find out how easily this can go wrong. So, it's, it's been fascinating watching all these people baking bread, but one of the other statistics in here was that sales of baking yeast surged 647% more than any other food, beverage, or consumer product in the week that ended March 21st. Now, I can't imagine that's more than toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> Or I wonder about uh, Netflix streams, too. Oh, right. I bet. I bet. So that was according to uh, Nielsen. And then both yeast and flour became very hard to find in grocery stores. So that's kind of like toilet paper now, I guess. Yeah. It's yeah. the new currency. Forget Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Toilet paper, yeast, and flour. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a very weird phenomenon. People are wondering, why is everyone making bread? Well, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess bread is comfort, bread's comfort food. Yeah. That's what some of these people were saying. I, th I thought this was funny. There's this quote in here. This man, he's, he started to make his first bread ever with a French baguette, mixing and eating the dough while wearing his baby in a carrier on the front of him. Mm -hmm. And he said, the electric mixer kind of put him in a trance, the 30-year-old said of his 10-month-old son. Yeah. It's a good way to get your kid to quiet. It's like putting be, him on top of the quiet. dryer or washing machine or something. <laughs> right. Or taking him for a car ride. <laughs> I don't know how someone accidentally kills the yeast, but this one woman... Her first attempt to make bread, she accidentally killed the yeast instead of activating it. <laughs> the bread came Oops. out like looking like a hockey puck, she said. <laughs> yeah. But now she's gotten the hang of it and doing much better. But it's, I'm sure you all have seen it too. Oh, and, and 
you know, we're big proponents and fans of the book uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which we are actually going to talk about later in this segment. There's actually a book called Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast that was written a while back by the founder of Ken's Artisan Bakery in Portland, Oregon. He said, I actually wrote a book that was meant to be read. He said, not just a coffee table (laughs) book. (laughs) And the funny thing is, I have coffee table books and I read them. Uh, You do. I'm I'm reading my one from Mazzaro's. That one's pretty Mm -hmm. interesting. Then there's this other woman. She resorted. Oh, right. She went shopping and she had run out of yeast entirely and they had Mm -hmm. no yeast in the store. So she decided to use one that was expired by just a few months past its use by date and her challah failed to rise to the occasion. She didn't even bother to taste it. They just threw it in the garden compost. Eh. Well, at least you didn't totally waste it. <laughs> right. Oh, so then there's this guy. This is, this is really funny. He set up an iMessage group chat with 20 or so friends around the U.S. and urged them to synchronize their trials. And to decide which type of bread to make, Mr. Barda painted a square of cardboard and affixed a spinning arrow to the center. The arrow can land on any of a dozen bread types whose names he wrote in segments radiating from the center. Like what? Thinking like Wheel of Fortune type of thing, yeah, he explained. Like a, like yeah, a board game. So every few days, he holds a FaceTime broadcast with his friends, and he spins, and whatever it lands on, that's the challenge for the week. Well, he's a little behind the times. He should be using Zoom. He should be, yes. So Hala was his first challenge, and people, it's interesting because they're talking about people that don't have certain things, so they're trying to substitute other things that go right. against the recipe. And here's the thing about baking. I used to bake a lot when I was younger. My grandmother was a big baker. Baking is so precise that you just, you miss one little thing, you substitute one thing incorrectly and it's not going to work. Yeah. Like other recipes, you can kind of wing it and substitute things and improvise and you're okay. Here's some of the, some of the funny things people did. She, this one woman, they were going to make kulak, which is Albanian soda bread. So she was missing baking soda. Instead, she doubled the dose of baking powder. She was also missing cow's milk yogurt, so she made it do with goat's milk yogurt. And she went with gluten-free flour instead of all-purpose. She said the outside looked beautiful, but the inside was a little sad. She turned it into <laughs> croutons. So it's just funny, the funny things people think to, to substitute for. Another hard lesson learned, sour cream is not a good substitute for yogurt in baking. It came out, this, this Kulak came out rock hard and it was so bad she didn't even photograph it. <laughs> the reason we're seeing this so much is baking is really just a coping me- mechanism for getting through this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that's why people are doing it. Um, there's a couple that was supposed to get married on April 4th in Chicago, followed by a honeymoon in poor Italy. I feel so bad for Italy. It just breaks my heart. Such a beautiful country. I, I thought you were going to say they made bread instead of going, having a wedding. No, <laughs> but because they had to postpone the wedding until after the pandemic. The quote is, we're baking through our sadness. So she'd never made bread before. She succeeded at some wonderful homemade naan, which is 11 flatbread, during that first week of social distancing. And then she decided a braided hollow loaf. And she was talking on the phone while she was making the dough and didn't add enough flour, so the hollow didn't really come. Oh, and she also decided to substitute honey for sugar. Oh, geez. She said, it was a little sticky. It got everywhere on my watch, my shirt. I thought I was going to have to throw it out, she said. <laughs> so just a funny thing. And I know that this is just a coping mechanism. And that's really all we have for that. Oh, no, 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 no. This, this one part, too, that was really funny. The one guy said that he has to disconnect or no he disconnected his fire alarms because he kept setting them off when he was trying to perfect his pizza dough that sounds familiar yeah i don't have any that are connected i always disconnect them too so i just thought that was funny so yeah that's all i got on that one okay this next one 
is my favorite. The title on this one is, Does a Famous Bay Area Pizza Help Induce Labor? Expectant moms think so. Doctors say there's no magical food that can cause contractions to start, but that hasn't stopped parents-to-be from lining up for the Prego pizza. (laughs) So there's a place, Schipolini's Pizza. (laughs) They've been around for 46 years. They started in Clayton, California, which is 30 miles northeast of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Now they have seven locations, six in the Bay Area and one in Reno. Mm. And the most famous pizza that I referred to previously is the Prego. P-R-E-G-O, which is also Prego. You know, so if you don't know the story and you see, you're looking at their menu, you might confuse the name to be Italian, which Prego in Italian means you're welcome. There's other uses for the word, but we're not going to do an Italian lesson here. So here's part of the story. At nearly 41 weeks pregnant, Joyce Ann Rodriguez had tried just about everything to induce the birth of her second daughter last June. She walked endlessly around her neighborhood in San Lorenzo, California, drank warm milk, snacked on fresh pineapple. I guess those are supposed to induce labor or something. I never heard any of these things when I was pregnant. Nothing worked. Then she remembered a random tip she picked up in her online mom's group, Try Schipolini's, a nearby pizzeria. Around the Bay Area, the shop is whispered about among moms-to-be, midwives, and antsy spouses as the purveyor of a pie that causes pregnant women to go into labor. Ms. Rodriguez was suspicious. She nonetheless dragged her husband and toddler son to a Schipolini's 35 minutes away in Walnut Creek for a piece of Prego pizza, as it's called by the restaurant. The next day, contractions started. And she said, I really do think it was the pizza. She delivered a healthy baby girl. Nice. Well, I want to know what's in this pizza. I'm getting there. (laughs) So from Schipolini's website, they say, In the spring of 1981, a woman desperate to give birth after a trying pregnancy wandered into a Schipolini's Pizza in downtown Clayton. Jokingly, the woman demanded that the manager give her a pizza that would make her have the baby soon. Seeing her desperation, the manager concocted a pizza right there on the spot with just about every single topping they have. (laughs) The masterpiece had 13 different toppings, including extra onions and extra garlic. The pizza was loaded with fresh vegetables and six types of meat. The creation weighed over four pounds and could have cured the hunger of several small countries. (laughs) The results were amazing. The woman left the restaurant after eating the Prego pizza and went into labor that same evening. So began the amazing history of the first ever, the original Prego pizza. (laughs) That's the funniest story. Yeah, I think it would make me have a baby too. (laughs) Yeah, well, one that you wouldn't get out, be able to get out. (laughs) So also on the website, they list about 100. They have like a, just a running list. And there's like 100, what they call success stories on the website. Like they'll say Rosalind's success story, Tara's success story. And then they tell, they submitted their story of what, how it worked for them. So the Prego pizza, this is the menu description. Our world famous labor inducing masterpiece. It really works. Salami, pepperoni, ham, mushrooms, olives, bell peppers, extra onions, sausage, ground beef, linguisa, extra garlic, parmesan, and oregano. The pizza weighs four pounds and costs $37. I would imagine you'd have to eat that with a fork and knife. How in the world could you pick that up without all that falling off? Right. What in the world is linguisa? I've never heard of that before. It's, I had to look it up too. It's a highly spiced pork sausage flavored with garlic, paprika, and other spices. Sounds yummy. Yeah. Still finding new food out there, too, that we didn't know about. So the Prego pizza induces labor. I should hope 
that it does not cause people to get pregnant. Right. I was thinking the same thing. I know. That would be bad. Not only that, make sure you don't eat it before you get to the your due date. <laughs> yeah. That would be really bad. Uh, yeah. So here's another one. When Abigail Hamilton visited Schipolini's last September at 39 weeks pregnant, she counted at least six other expectant women at the restaurant. <laughs> her waitress told her a trick. Eat at least two slices right away, take a walk, and then eat more. Ms. Hamilton, who doesn't even like pizza, what the hell is wrong with her? I know, right? Who, I never, who doesn't like pizza? Never in my life have I heard of somebody who doesn't like pizza. <laughs> right. Tried to follow directions, but was too full to eat a third massive slice. Nonetheless, contractions started the next morning, and she soon gave birth to her daughter. And she says, it wasn't psychological because I didn't believe it would work. <laughs> and at Schipolini's, word is spreading to the point that some families are paying more than $100 to have one of the pies shipped through the post office packed in dry ice. Wow. And here's another one. Amber Taylor's daughter wasn't due for another nine days when she picked up a Prego pizza at the restaurant's Clayton location last fall. She says she only had one slice and two hours later, her labor started. <laughs> I still don't know that I believe this is just pizza's really causing it. Several women have had their water break as they ate their pizza at one of the restaurants. Oh my God. They do admit that it doesn't work for everyone. And the, <laughs> the owner, Kent Ibsen, says he thinks the secret behind his pizza is actually the power of positive thinking or maybe good old fashioned desperation. <laughs> I don't know. I was desperate. I just got induced. I mean. Right. <laughs> What you my son, but he was a week late. But it would be more fun to be induced by pizza. It would be more fun to be induced yeah. by pizza. So, except I got to have him born on Valentine's Day. There you go. Cool. <laughs> well, that's all we have for this segment. We're gonna have a quick word from our sponsors, and then we're gonna be back with some advice from Samin from Salt Fat Acid Heat. We'll be right back. I love soup, and I'm always in search of a great soup. Ramen is just so complex and delicious with layers of complex flavors in its broth. Booyah Ramen is one of my favorite places in downtown St. Pete. So much so that I recently included them on my top five Asian noodle soups list for their pork belly ramen. Now Booyah's success is not just about the ramen. It's a hip, upbeat environment meant for unwinding and socializing with housecrafted cocktails, a large selection of Japanese whiskey, and izakaya too. Those are small plates of different types of appetizers that are delicious as well as the ramen. The ambiance of the place, along with the friendliness of the owners and staff, really adds to the character and charm of Buya. And to add to its coolness, the owners are actually opening up four more stores, one in Miami, and three in Berlin of all places. Yes, Berlin, Germany. How cool is that? Buya Ramen is located at 911 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete and is open seven days a week at 11 a.m. Do ya, Buya? Have you been to Pacific Counter? It is one of the newest fast casual concepts located on one of the fastest growing blocks in St. Pete, the 600 block of Central Avenue. They offer build your own bowls, burritos, or salads with a variety of the freshest bases, toppings, and sauces to satisfy anyone's craving and put you in charge. There are actually 6,432,189 combinations possible. Overwhelmed by Build Your Own? I know that I sometimes am. Well, you can also choose from their counter creations menu already picked for you. The first couple of times we ate there, that's exactly what I did. Then I decided to get adventurous. For bases, they offer sushi rice, brown rice, noodles, or greens. Sushi rice seems to be the norm, but I'm not a big rice person, so I finally tried the noodles, and to say I fell in love is an understatement. 
They are actually sweet potato noodles, I found out later. I have no idea how they make them seem like rice noodles. I added fresh tuna and salmon, my choice of toppings and a sauce, which I didn't even need because the bowl was so good without it. I told Kevin I could eat this every day and I would probably lose weight and love it at the same time. If you haven't checked out Pacific Counter, I would highly recommend it. They are open for lunch and dinner, have a variety of unique alcoholic and non-alcoholic drink options, and they have the beloved Dole Whip. Find your fresh at Pacific Counter. Pacific Counter is located at 660 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete. They are open 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 11 a.m. to midnight on Friday and Saturday. Reminding you that Booyah Ramen and Pacific Counter are both still open, doing takeout and delivery, and they help us bring this podcast to you, so please support them. We are back! We are back! We are back on the St. Petersburg Foodies podcast, and now we're now going to talk about Samin, I think you pronounce her last name Nasrat's Salt Fat Acid Heat. Originally, it was a book. She is a James Beard Award-winning author, and it is now a Netflix documentary that came out in 2018. We have watched this documentary. At I think least. we're on our third or fourth go-around. We're go on around. our third or fourth go-around, yeah. I, we learn something new every single time we watch mm-hmm. it. Um, it's broken up into four different categories or four different episodes, as mm-hmm. we're trying to say. Ironically enough, the first episode is fat, not salt, but we're going to talk about it in that other direction. In the order of the title. Yes. We're going to talk about salt first, which is one of my favorite ingredients on anything. So it's, it's quite interesting because she travels all over the, the globe and talks to people and we, we just learned so much through it. And I know there's a lot of people out there that had this mindset that, oh, I don't need to salt the food because you can just salt it after. We've learned so much more about the layering techniques and what salt can do for your food to, to come to life as it's cooking. It needs to be salted along the way. The description of the episode of salt is, it's fundamental to all good cooking. It enhances flavor and even makes food taste more like itself. In short, salt brings food to life. Learn to use it well and your food will taste great. It really comes down to three basic decisions that you make in your cooking. When to salt, layering salt, and how much salt. And mm-hmm. Kevin and I never had, we didn't know before we watched this so many times that you should really salt your meat for the most part, as soon as it comes home, if you're planning to cook it within the next day or two. Yeah, and generally speaking, on average, the day before. Yes, yes. And the size of the crystals actually matter too. So when you're salting your meat, you want to use smaller crystal salt, like for instance, Morton, or what we use now is Diamond Crystal, I believe Mm -hmm. is the name of it. Something that people don't know is that all salts are not created equal. Morton's kosher salt is denser than Diamond Crystal. So one teaspoon of Morton's is nearly as salty as two teaspoons of diamond crystal. So when you're following a recipe and it says add a teaspoon of salt, your food will taste completely different depending on which salt you're using. They were actually sold out of diamond crystal for a while there. Because of this. Because of this episode. But I ended up ordering it on Amazon and we have three huge boxes of it now. (laughs) Yeah. And most people just think salt is salt and there's just one kind of salt. and, And the salt episode takes place either solely or primarily in Japan. And she goes to this market in Japan and they had over 100 different types of salt and they are all different. All of them are crazy. And the thing is, the size of the crystal, as I said before, determines the saltiness. If the crystals are small, they dissolve quickly in your mouth. So you can taste all of that saltiness immediately. Mm -hmm. Bigger flakes, and I do have some 
really nice Kalima salt that I ordered that are these big flakes mm-hmm. and they're, they dissolve more slowly. So the saltiness is gradual and less intense. And the other thing that the bigger flakes do is they add some crunchy texture. So mm-hmm. what we learned is put those like in your salad or put those on stuff where you gives you that little extra bit of texture. Right. It's really interesting to learn on that. And what she says about um, salting meat, one of the most important lessons I can teach you is the power of salting meat in advance. I want to always make sure that I'm getting all the sides of a piece of meat nice and evenly salted. I do what I call the wrist wag. In general, I season meat on the bone the minute I bring it back from the butcher shop. I'll unwrap it, season it, wrap it, throw it back in the fridge. That way I know I'm giving salt enough time to do its magic. And when she says do its magic, it soaks into the meat, causes the meat to it would take some of the moisture out. When we had uh, a few episodes back when we had Mar- Chef Marlon Kaplan from right. Grace Restaurant, right. he said it's almost, it, it's almost like dry, dry aging, aging the meat, but you get the same result. When they dry age meat, it's like for yeah. weeks or a month. This gets you like a couple weeks of dry aging yeah. overnight. Right. And it does. It makes a huge difference, as we've noticed in our cooking. And she says also on layering salt, anytime... I'm making a dish, I'm always thinking about the different sources of salt that I can work in because you get other flavor benefits beyond what you could have gotten if we had only salted the meat. Right. So there's other aspects and elements. And she says, on how much salt to use, often when there's water involved, and this is interesting too, it's about having a salty enough environment so that in the short time that the food spins in the pot, it will become seasoned from within. So the less time a food spends in a pot of salted water, the saltier the water should be. The only way to know how much to use is to taste your way there. And I recall from that episode when they made the pasta, I mean, you salt until you really... It's supposed to taste like the ocean. It is. It's supposed to taste like the ocean because your fresh pasta is only going to stay in the water for two to three minutes. When it's fresh pasta, it cooks a lot faster than Mm -hmm. the pasta that you cook. Even boxed, you know, not fresh, it's 10 minutes at most, maybe eight. And then the green beans, remember? She had fresh green beans. She salted the green beans almost as much as she salted the pasta water because that salt will get into the green bean flavor Mm -hmm. and you don't have to use as much salt at the table. Versus something like if you're making, say, grits. Grits are going to absorb all the water. So you don't don't want to do that. (laughs) Kevin made that mistake. (laughs) Oops. Here's Samine with some of her own advice. My name is Samin Nasrat, and I'm a writer, a teacher, and a chef. I'm the author of Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. So I I would say the most important thing for any cook, whether you're experienced or brand new, is to really learn how to taste and taste all throughout cooking. Taste your raw ingredients, taste as you're cooking, and certainly taste right before you serve your food to make sure that it's just right. So what you're tasting for is usually salt and fat and acid and making sure that all three of those ingredients are balanced. Well, one really important lesson is to learn to use salt earlier, particularly for meat. So um, I pretty much encourage people to salt all of their roasts or anything that they plan on grilling or like even your Thanksgiving turkey at least a day in advance, if not two, to give salt the time it needs to get fully absorbed and really diffused into the food so that it's seasoned all the way throughout instead of just on the surface. And now here's Kevin to talk about fat. Fat, number two in salt, fat, acid, heat. So here's what she says at the beginning of this episode. Fat, it's nothing short of a miracle. Fat is flavor. 
fat is texture, fat adds its own unique flavor to a dish and can amplify the other flavors in a recipe. Simply put, fat makes food delicious. And one of the most important things any cook can learn is how to harness its magic. So she is on location in Italy for this one. And on cooking with oil, she says, when you cook, it's very important to know what kind of oil you're adding. Oil should never cover up the flavor of your dish, but it should accompany and enhance it. On differentiating amongst olive oils, a good olive oil must have three parameters. It's fruity, spicy, and bitter. In your mouth, you must feel at least a bit of spiciness because if it's spicy, it's alive. It's a flavor that remains in your mouth. So if you drink it and that's all, it's not a good olive oil. But if you drink it and after a minute, you still feel the oily sensation in your mouth, that's a good olive oil. And we actually... We did that yesterday. We did it yesterday. We were watching the episode and I was able to procure one bottle of the exact olive oil in the documentary. And I was trying to get more, but they were sold out. I got like the last bottle for Christmas. I checked just now in April and they're still sold out. Yeah, this olive oil is from Liguria in Italy. Absolutely stunning olive oil. Wow. We just opened it yesterday. We actually poured it in little wine glasses and drank it. And Which is what they do on the show too. Yeah. We were, drinking do, we were doing glasses. what they, they were doing on the show. It was, it was great. But it feels like the mouthfeel, yeah. it's, it's creamy. Buttery. Mm-hmm. And it has a mild, uh, like grassy sweetness like you get from like a wheatgrass shot. Right. And then the pepper came as like a little tingle at the back of your throat like maybe five or ten seconds after you swallowed it yeah the problem is most people here in the states have no idea that there's an actual expiration date on olive oil right and we talked about that on last week's episode we did so if you missed it check that out now here's also another tip from sabine on preheating the pan this is one of those important things that i think home cooks forget is how important it is to preheat the pan you have to heat the pan before you heat the oil. And I got to tell you. It, that's been one of my hardest habits to break because I didn't know that. Well, not only that, I was working on a different project the other day and I was researching different recipes. And I must have looked at at least 20, 25 recipes one day. And every single one of them reads like this. Put the oil in the pan and then turn the heat to whatever the heat is for that recipe. And they're all wrong. <laughs> but there is an ex- there's a couple things, a couple notes here. Butter is the exception. If you put butter into a preheated pan, it will automatically turn brown and burn and smoke up. So butter is the one exception in fat that you put in the pan and then turn on the heat. And another note is, we've been talking about olive oil. If you're doing a high heat item, don't use olive oil. It will also burn like butter. Use... And this is, this is just from our own experience. I, or, no, this might be in the show too. But some high heat oils, avocado oil, canola, sesame, and grapeseed. We've been using grapeseed for yeah. all of our kind of frying type of things. Yeah. So you can pour grapeseed into a super hot pan yeah. and no problem. Right. We used to constantly <laughs> have my place. It was always yeah. smoky because I didn't know this. Yeah. So much that you learn. And we're on to acid. Acid's one of the 
the biggest things I think that we have learned in the last couple of years. Well, we learned a lot, obviously, as we're talking about this. But I remember, um, 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 in the past, like I we ordered the pad thai from Hawkers, for instance. Yeah. And they would serve it with a, a I believe it's a lime, a lime wedge, a lime wedge. And I'm, why do they put this lime wedge in here? It's because you're supposed to squeeze it on the pad yeah. thai. And I have to admit. Um, I never understood this. I have to admit with a little bit of embarrassment that there's many times for years now, whatever entree I did serve and that there'd be like a lemon or a lime wedge. I thought it was a garnish. I thought it was a garnish and I just threw it away. Yeah, me too. Anytime a lemon or lime wedge comes with your food, you are supposed to squeeze it on the food. (laughs) And maybe you were just the dummies that didn't know that. But anyway, the description of this episode, acid, it's the pucker in a lemon, the sour in sour cream. The tart in cranberry sauce. It literally makes mouths water. Acid brightens food and creates contrast. Most importantly, acid does the absolutely necessary job of balancing flavors, which makes it indispensable to cooking delicious food. The thing she talks about on cooking with acid is that the list of acidic ingredients extends far beyond what most people think. They just think citrus, vinegar, that type Mm -hmm. of stuff. But Anything fermented is also acidic. That includes cheese, pickles, beer, and I actually just drank a beer. Uh, hey, I got a beer. (laughs) Most of us cook with acid without even realizing it. Think of beef stew cooked in red wine or meatballs simmered in tomato sauce. When used as a cooking medium, acidic ingredients mellow, becoming subtle but essential flavors in a dish, while acting as a counterpoint to salty, fatty, sweet, and starchy foods. And what I found, too, is that it, it helps to cut that when something's too rich and you can feel like it's too rich, mm-hmm. I will automatically now either add lemon, lime, I'll do something. I didn't, I didn't even tell Kevin we were making chili the other day and I added lemon. I never told you. Uh-huh. It was really good chili. <laughs> it was the best we ever made. It really was. Not just because of the lemon, but yeah. I know. Another really important thing is marinating in acid. You have to be very careful about it because acid will actually cook. It'll cook it. It'll cook your food. So when you're marinating in acid, it has a different effect on food than cooking in it does. A highly acidic marinade will tenderize meat, but if left too long, the meat will toughen up like an overcooked steak. It's very fascinating. that They used just acid to cook a few things that we saw on the segment. On well, well, ceviche. Right, right. This, right you ceviche. take raw fish mm-hmm. and you just put, you put some lime juice in there right. and it cooks it. Browning foods. Browning also produces acidity, creating flavors that didn't exist before. I didn't know this either. Soaking onions in acid will take the fire out of them without diminishing the brightness that they add to a dish. Hmm. I like the fire in them. I know you. You <laughs> like the fire in anything, babe. That's why I like you. Aww. <laughs> Whoa, hey, what's going on here? Get a room, you two. And I know I just talked about squeezing the lime and that, but I want to read this because I, I marked it and it's, it's cool. Another way to use acid as a garnish to add brightness. A simple squeeze of lime over pho cuts through the beefy broth. Mm -hmm. A crumble of goat cheese gives a kneaded tang to any salad. And a splash of white wine added just before serves to balance the starchy richness of a risotto. Cool. Fascinating, right? And here's some unexpected forms of acid that most people wouldn't think of. Coffee, chocolate, and even bananas are all sources of acid that can be used to balance a dish. Hmm. One surprisingly sour ingredient more often associated with sweetness is honey. Huh. Bananas and honey, that one, if that was on a test, I would get those wrong. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. And now Kevin here is here to talk about heat. The introduction to the heat segment of salt, fat, acid, heat 
goes like this. Heat. It's the element of transformation. Heat takes food from raw to cooked, flabby to firm, pale to golden brown. Sizzles, splatters, crackles, steam, and aromas are all the results of applying heat to food. And once you understand how heat works, you can be confident that whatever you cook will taste great. And the location for this one was California. It was at Simeon's home, most of it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the first tip is going to be on grilling a steak. And let's go back to salt also to remind you, if you get that really nice ribeye or whichever cut you enjoy, get it a day before. Salt it. Put it back in the fridge for tomorrow. But then make sure that you take it out of the refrigerator so it can come to more room temperature for at least an hour. You're stealing my stuff. I know, but I knew the, <laughs> I already knew it. <laughs> at least an hour, maybe two. I want to talk about doing a steak in a pan and cast iron, but she also says on grilling a steak, you want to cook it more than halfway on the first side, then let it, let it cook through to medium rare or whatever you like on the second side. So it's not like 50%, 50%. It's more like 65 to 70% and then 30%. And she also talks about, and I have a clip here in a moment, but she says that, and I think we talked about this before, that to preheat the skillet, right? We did. Yes. I do it on the stove, but she said that at, she was at somebody's house, I think, cooking, and their stove was weak. So she says the solution there is heat the oven to 500 degrees and stick the cast iron in there for 20 minutes to preheat it. That's a freaking hot cast iron. Yes. But then, but what they did, they did an experiment. There's a video you can find on YouTube. They do an experiment where she preheats the one pan on the stove and preheats the other pan in the oven. And the steak that was cooked on the oven preheated pan came out way better. And here's Samin with some of her own advice on searing steak. As important as it is to get the heat right, to get the pan really hot and get that beautiful sear, it's equally important to let meat rest. And the reason is because it never cooks perfectly evenly. So that gives time for proteins to relax, the meat will be more tender, and also for the juices to distribute. Okay. On prepping meat, as Lori was saying, you have to bring meat up to room temperature. You have to pull it out from the fridge and let it sit on the counter for an hour or longer, depending on the size. When you go straight from the fridge into the oven, it will never cook evenly. The skin of the chicken will rip. The outside will get burnt and overly dry before the inside can even cook. That's why a lot of Thanksgiving turkeys come out raw. I made that mistake this year because I forgot to take it out, remember? Yeah, and we were kind of on a clock and then we ate late anyway. And yeah, it was best. <laughs> and I had to go back in the oven. And <laughs> so here's one on roasting vegetables. A lot of times people just drizzle oil on top. You want the oil between the food and the pan. That's how you get the crisp bottom edge. Further to that, you also want to make sure that everything is in contact with the pan. It's just like if you're sauteing, the browning that happens on top is air browning. The browning that happens on the bottom comes from the conduction. And that is just scratching the surface of the documentary, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. And the documentary is just scratching the surface of the book. Do you mind if I bring one more point up from the heat? Yeah, sure. That I thought was... Something I, I mean, it, it seems like it would be, you would already know this, like it's counter, counterintuitive, but one of the things she talks about on a, using an oven is that the back of the oven, no matter what kind of oven you have, no, no matter whether it's a convection oven, regular oven, the back is where the, all of the heat really is. Because every time you open the oven, 
to check on it or check the whatever, all of the heat escapes out the front. So the front will always be cooler and the back will always be hotter. So if you put the chickens with the legs facing towards the back, the whole bird will cook more evenly because legs always need longer time than the breasts to cook. But I think that's a really important point to make. A lot of people don't think about. Yeah, I didn't know that until we learned it from this. And I still screwed it up at Thanksgiving, but it's okay. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our sponsors. Normal Crust. Rollin' Oats. Pacific Counter. Booyah Ramen. And, and Engine, Engine Number nine. 9. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. And how would you gentlemen like those steaks prepared? Prepared? Oh, you mean cooked? Yes, sir. Cooked is most definitely what I should have said. Do excuse me, please. How would you like those steaks cooked? Well, just knock its horns off, wipe its nasty old ass, and chunk it right down on the plate. Same for me, please. I will give Chef your instructions exactly. And would you care to order wine with your meal? Uh, hi, yeah. Why don't you bring us a bottle of something or other? Uh, not too sweet? American. American something or other. Yes, sir, an excellent choice. And uh, would you like to have glasses, or do you prefer to drink directly from the bottle? Well, uh, glasses, I reckon. Oh, and hey, toss a little ice in mine, if you would, my good man. Ice, certainly, sir. Nothing could surprise me now. Oh, yeah, hey, tell that cook he better not screw up them steaks. We're kind of particular about our meat.